Wow, good morning, VRVC, online, in person. What an incredible day um, to worship, to raise a hallelujah, to hear about uh, this uh, growing partnership that we have in the valley and the really cool ways that we can pray and participate in that. And uh, to launch a new series with you, but before we get to that, I just want to take a moment uh, just to thank you for, uh, on behalf of Jalita and me, the wonderful gift that you gave us back in 2019 uh, for my 20th work anniversary. Uh, After two failed attempts, we finally got to go to Italy, and it was just fantastic. Uh, We saw amazing ancient churches in Rome and amazing sculptures and paintings in Florence, including Michelangelo's David. We saw God's handiwork in in, uh, Cinque Terre. And, uh, and, and the last stop was in Assisi, and I got to do a deep dive with my favorite, one of my favorite saints, St. Saint Francis. And all the while, we ate pasta and pizza and drank espresso and gelato and gelato and gelato, and it was fantastic. Um, my mom, uh, her parents were born in Italy, and, uh, and I just felt such a close connection uh, with her and just wanted to say thank you so, so much. Uh, it, was, it was amazing, and I caught a cold on the way back, and so I have a little bit of um, uh, getting over a cold, and so I've got my water here, and I've got a little bit of FM DJ voice working. <laughs> the Dallas weather looks like this, partly cloudy and warm today uh, with a chance of showers. So anyway, we're, we're jumping into the book of Jonah, and uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you like to reread favorite books? Like, uh, how many of you have read say, the same Harry Potter book more than once, yeah? How many of you men have read Pride and Prejudice like five times? No? Is that right? Uh, I I don't know about you. I've actually read start to finish uh, Green Eggs and Ham at least three times. and, uh, and I've also read the book of Jonah quite a few times. It's, it's just one of those books that I, I love to read. And every time I read it, I've been living with the book of Jonah for, uh, for over 50 years. And it seems like every time I read it, there are different things, elements, parts that stand out to me. And to be honest, the first uh, uh, decade or so of reading the book of Jonah when I was a kid... Uh, there was one thing that dominated my attention, and that was the big fish, of course. But, uh, but, but then, you know, I, I kind of moved on. I remember a, an early sermon that I preached here uh, where I was just consumed with the worm in chapter 4, and the worm messed me up. Uh, and, of course, I've thought a lot about the prophet Jonah uh, as I read the book. But, but, but more recently reading this book, you want to know the, the, the character that stood out to me the most? It's God. Uh, God the book of Jonah reveals, is a missionary. God has the heart of a missionary. And and the book of Jonah is going to demonstrate that in such clear ways. And on this morning uh, where we talk about kind of rising up out of the pandemic rubble and looking at the world around us with God's heart, I'm really excited to start this series with you. And so we're going to be focused on chapter one today. And just as you open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1, just a little bit of of context for you. The the Bible's kind of like a mini library. And so the book of Jonah is in that section of the library that's called the Minor Prophets. Not minor in significance, but minor in length. It's not like the the book of Jonah is four chapters, not 66 chapters like a major prophet like 
like Isaiah. And so a lot of the, the minor prophets are kind of long on preaching and short on action. And so there's a little bit of action, but there's a lot of sermons, so to speak, by the prophet. But in some ways, Jonah is just the opposite. Uh, Jonah is an action-packed book. Jonah lived in the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, he was born not too far from Nazareth, which I think is kind of historically interesting. He lived during uh, the challenging years of a, a, a corrupt king named Jeroboam II. And here's what happens as we launch the story of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. So hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship, that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, well, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. May God bless the reading of his word. So Jonah starts off like most prophetic books, at least for the first two verses, right? In verse one, God presents the, the prophet Jonah with a word from the Lord, a, a sermon that he wants Jonah to preach. Uh, and uh, and that, that sermon is encapsulated in verse two, where God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, Nineveh is called a great city, not because it was voted best place to raise a family in a pagan superpower, but, but, but because it was one of the, the four most important cities of the nation of Assyria, Israel's uh, saber-rattling enemy just to the north. Uh, it is Assyria, by the way, that eventually will declare war on Israel. But God wants Jonah to travel to Israel to preach against it. 
Nineveh, after all, was a city full of violence. It was a city full of sexual immorality. It was a city full of idolatry. And God says, I want you to go and preach against it. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt preached against? Not in a bad way. Maybe you have in a bad way. But have you ever felt preached against in a necessary way? I mean, maybe you were listening to the sermon and you didn't know the preacher, but it was like that preacher had access to all of your most private texts and emails. That preacher had your browser history. That preacher knew it, knew it all. And, and it wasn't a fun sermon by any means, but it was an important message. It was a tough love message. It, it was the kind of spiritual message that said, you, you need surgery. You need heart surgery sooner rather than later well I think that's the the vital call that God's giving to Jonah in verse 2 well how does Jonah respond well we'll get to that in a second but 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 I want to ask you a question I want to ask you a question uh don't raise your hand but have you ever had an experience like this have you ever had your mobile phone ring or buzz or whatever it does and you look down and you see the name of someone you know well but you don't answer you ever had that experience before? You let it go to voicemail. Now, maybe you have a good reason, okay? Maybe you're in a meeting. Or maybe you have not a, a good reason, but a decent reason, and that is you're really tired and you're not up for a conversation with this person. Or maybe you have a much less than decent reason. Maybe you're mad at this person. Or maybe you've been avoiding them. Or maybe you don't want to hear what they have to say. Or maybe you're afraid to hear what they might tell you. Okay, can you capture that feeling? Because we've all had it, right? Can you capture that feeling? Maybe that's the best way of describing what's going on in Jonah's life in Jonah 1. Because I don't think it's just a problem for Jonah. I think it's a problem for all of us. I think it's a frequent problem for all of us. And you want to know what that frequent problem is? The frequent problem is letting God go to voicemail. A message pops up on the screen of our heart. We know that the caller is God. The, through spiritual prayer, text recognition technology, we even have a transcript of the message from God in our voicemail inbox. Right? But how do we respond? While you're thinking about that, I think it would be instructive for us to see how Jonah responded. Uh, verse 3 says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord. And headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port after paying the fare. He went aboard and sailed for, he didn't get there, but he sailed in the direction of Tarshish to flee from the Lord. (laughs) Jonah not only ignored God's voicemail, Jonah defied God's voicemail. He did the opposite of what God instructed him to do. The text literally says he ran from the face of the Lord. Like the face of the Lord is here, he went there. He runs to the port city of Joppa. In fact, we've got a map. Let me see if I can. Uh, so, so, so Jonah's here uh, in, in, in northern Israel. And the Lord says, I want you to go here to Nineveh and Assyria. But instead, Jonah goes to the port of Joppa. He boards a ship. And he, his, his destination, his intended destination, is 2,500 miles away through the Mediterranean Sea, through kind of Gibraltar in Tarshish, which we believe was in, in southern Spain. That's how far away he wants to get from where God was calling him to go. Tarshish 
was exotic. Tarshish was known for gold and silver and ivory. Tarshish was Shangri-La, right? Tarshish was the dream brochure in the travel agency, if you've ever heard of a travel agency. The name Jonah, by the way, means dove. And this dove was flying the coop. He was getting as far away from God as he could. You know, I think one of the reasons why we let God go to voicemail is because the call of God in our lives contradicts the call that we have for our own lives. Like God has his call for your life, but I also have my call for my life, right? And sometimes my call is Tarshish. My call is not Nineveh. I've told you before that one of my pastor mentors from afar is the late Eugene Peterson. Uh, he pastored one church in Baltimore for kind of his whole ministry re- career before retiring. And when he retired, he, he wrote the rest of the message paraphrase and a lot of amazing books. And one of the books that has had an impact on me is called Under the Unpredictable Plant. And it's a book about the, uh, about the minor prophet Jonah. And in this book, Peterson calls out his profession, which is my profession of pastoring. And one of the things he says is that pastors always dream of pastoring First Baptist Church of Tarshish and not First Baptist Nineveh. He said pastors dream of glamorous assignments, but he said being a real pastor is doing the hard work of faithfulness in Nineveh. He said pastors dream of riding the glistening stallion in the parade. But he said real pastoring is more like mucking out the horse stalls than it is riding the stallion. But you know what? I don't think this is just about pastors. I think for all of us, in in every area of our lives, there's always this longing for Tarshish. And so I want you to think about your life. You know, what what does Tarshish represent for you? Maybe Tarshish is that shiny new relationship. The the flirtatious one that started at the trade show, which feels so unlike the hard work of marriage back home in Nineveh. Maybe Tarshish is the promise of that new job that the recruiter says glowing things about. Has to be better than the present one, right? Maybe Tarshish is the new house that we'll love so much better than the current house. Maybe Tarshish is the new school that we're sure will have better you know, teachers and faculty than the current school. Maybe the, the Tarshish is in the new church where they really preach the word and there are no annoying people, right? Maybe, maybe what's the dream of Tarshish for you right now? What's that fantasy of ignoring whatever God has for you in the moment and chasing something new? There's an author by the name of Lee Child. And he's created a rather famous fictional protagonist. Uh, This protagonist uh, is six foot five, 250 pounds, mostly muscle. He's a former U.S. military uh, policeman. Anybody know his name? Jack Reacher. I thought there'd be quite a few Jack Reacher fans. He's a loner. He travels around America, usually on buses. He just wants to explore. Get this, the only thing he carries with him is a toothbrush. He buys new clothes when he needs them. He junks the old ones. He's got, literally, he's got no baggage. He's got nothing weighing him down. He's free to go wherever he wishes until he runs across bad guys, which is what he usually does, right? 
And, and I just wonder, have you ever kind of had that Jack Reacher fantasy before? I'm just going to walk away with my, maybe, maybe a toothbrush and that's it. And I'm just going to walk away. I'm going to walk away from responsibility. I'm going to walk away. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a bus ticket to Tarshish. And I'll let every other voice in my life go to voicemail. Well, that's what Jonah tried. But apparently God had other ways of getting Jonah's attention. In fact, a pretty big one in verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, if all we had was this one verse, we would conclude that God was a villain, right? We would think of God like that fastball pitcher that throws inside and high and fast toward the helmet, right? Uh, we would think that God is whipping up this violent storm uh, because it's, it's kind of like God strikes back. It's uh, God's kind of saying, I'll show you, you know. Uh, you don't respond to my voicemails? Well, all right, I'll just send a hurricane towards you, right? Like, like God is, is, is angry and vindictive. But, but it, it may not surprise you that I see something else at work here. And what I see at work is something that I want to call God's relentless response when we ignore his voicemails. That God often sends his mercy through storms. Now, I, I know we expect preachers to do this, right? We expect preachers to be spin doctors, to find the literal silver lining in the dark and stormy clouds. But, but hear me out. Did you know that, that a storm can actually do you spiritual good? One of, the, one of the great things a storm can do in your life is it can clarify your thinking. Eugene Peterson once again says, you know, you can't be a spectator in a storm. I mean, there are seasons in our life where we can just let God go to voicemail, right? But, but, but not when a storm comes. We, we can imagine we'll live forever, but not when a storm comes. We can put off calling family for so long until a storm comes and it's time to mark yourself safe in a storm, and that's exactly what happens in this storm in verse five. All the sailors start having their own moments with the divine. They all start praying to whatever counts for God in their world, and, and in that day, the gods, lowercase g, had their own zip codes, right? And so your community had your God, and your community had your God, and your community had your God, and my community had my God, and the sailors each start calling on their own gods to see if their gods are in cell coverage uh, to see if any of their gods have jurisdiction over this particular storm. And these sailors have been very uh, activated to make clear-headed decisions. Thousands of years before Marie Kondo and minimalism, they start throwing everything off the ship that doesn't spark joy in the moment. They start just throwing all the inessential and essential things off the ship uh, because a lighter ship is easier to control in a storm. And, and say what you will about these pagan sailors, you know what else they start doing? They, they start praying. They start praying. In fact, everybody on the ship is praying except one person, Jonah, who's asleep. <laughs> the captain can't believe it, wakes him up. Start, start praying to your God. But Jonah wasn't in a mood to pray, right? Because he had let God go to voicemail for so long. I like what one Scottish commentator, uh, Hugh Martin, says about verse 6. He says, in verse 6, what we find is the world rebuking the church. The world in a storm was praying. Jonah in a storm was sleeping. 
The sailors pray, Jonah sleeps. The world rebukes the church for not doing what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to pray, right? We're supposed to pray for the good of the world. We're supposed to pray for Nineveh, right? We're supposed to pray that others might not perish. The the, the pagans are praying, Jonah is sleeping. Like his forefather Abraham, Jonah was blessed to be a blessing. But Jonah was just focus on the first part of that sentence. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Not so that I might be a blessing. Bless me, give me a smooth trip to Tarshish. The sailors are getting desperate. They have this little container. It's filled with small stones called lots. They have their little way of kind of casting these stones, rolling the dice, trying to figure out who has offended the gods. Of course, the lot falls on Jonah. And like Proverbs 16 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Isn't it ironic how the Lord can work through even those kinds of unholy means to to decipher, to discover what God is up to? And I just wonder if you've ever had a moment like that where it's just kind of like one coincidence upon another coincidence upon another coincidence, and it's like, God, what what, what are you trying to say to me? God, it seems like you are relentless in trying to get my attention. Even in a storm, sometimes especially in a storm, God's relentless mercy moves toward us. And and I want to talk about, in the time that remains, just some good news in the middle of the storm. And if you're in a storm right now, I hope you'll take this as good news. The first is this, God's presence can move toward us when we're far from safety. And guess what? It doesn't matter what zip code you're in. Our God is not a God of limited cell phone coverage. In fact, even even Jonah in his terrible spiritual state says as much. In verse eight, you know, after the lot falls on Jonah, the soldiers begin to interrogate him. Who are you? You know, where are you from? What God do you worship? What's your profession, interestingly enough? Oh, I'm a prophet, right? Uh, They want to find out who his local God is. And and what does Jonah say in in verse 9? He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. I worship Yahweh. And he's not, you know, the God of 75019, or he's not the God of this particular region. Uh, He's the God of heaven, and he's the God of the sea, And he's also the God of the land. Let's see, heaven, sea, land, what's left. He's the God over everything. He's not just a regional God of Carrollton or Coppell or Colleyville. He's global. He's cosmic. And if you're Jonah in that that moment, that can be really frightening. But it can also be reassuring. It can be frightening because we can't run from God. But it can be comforting to know that even when we do, God is still there. Even when we're miles away from safe harbor, God's mercy is still pursuing us. Which, by the way, leads to even better news. And that is that God's love moves toward us, not just while we're far away, but while we're still sinners. While we are still sinners, while we are yet Sinners, maybe even as I say that phrase, yet sinners, still sinners. Some of you are remembering a verse from Romans chapter 5. 
which says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were letting God go to voicemail, while we were turning our back on the call of God, while we were heading toward Tarshish, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not after, but while. (laughs) I think we're beginning in the Old Testament to get a sneak peek of the astonishing mercy of Christ. The astonishing mercy of Jesus from the New Testament. It's interesting that there are quite a few references in the Gospels to Jonah. Uh, there's, there's, There's a deep connection between Jesus and the message of this book. I think it's interesting, after Jonah tells the sailors that he's the problem, you know what Jonah says? He says, the only way to make the storm go away is to throw me in the sea. He says, in essence, the only way for you to be redeemed is for me to be sacrificed. Now, Jonah deserves it. (laughs) But the sailors want to do anything but that, so they start to try to row toward land, but that doesn't work. Uh, They've already tossed all their cargo off board. They don't want to throw Jonah overboard, but they they can't think of anything else to do, and they don't want to die. And so very interesting, these pagan sailors, verse 14, ask God to forgive them for what they're about to do, which isn't always the best prayer to pray. And then they grab Jonah by the wrists and ankles, and it's one, two, three. And as soon as Jonah hits the water, the sea becomes so calm. And then the sailors get really afraid. Did you notice that in verse 16? At this, they were already afraid, right? But when the, when the seas became calm, at this the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows to him. Pagan sailors while yet sinners, have a powerful experience of God. They're in awe of God. They're in awe of his power. Revival breaks out on the ship. They pledge that as soon as they hit land, they're going to make sacrifices. They're going to make good on their promises to God. Amazing. And of course, the mercy of God is still moving toward Jonah in the form of an extra large fish. But that's next week. That's next week. But before we're done this morning, I just want to ask, how can you and I gain maximum spiritual benefit from this passage right now? Like if you were going to take just a couple questions and put them in a little takeout bag and kind of snack on them throughout the rest of the day and this week, what would they be? If you were going to take a couple questions and make sure this was really a part of your conversation and prayer in your, in your grow groups, what would they be? Maybe, maybe one question would be this. What are some old voicemails from God that need to be listened and re-listened to? Maybe God has been trying to get your attention. There's been a, a scriptural theme that keeps popping up. There's been something a trusted friend has mentioned to you. There's been something, it seems like everywhere you go, you keep hearing the same message from God and you don't want to hear it and you've let it go to voicemail. What, would, what is it that you need to pay attention to, to listen and re-listen to right now? And then a second question. What are some merciful aspects of God that you can cling to right now 
in the midst of a storm. What are some things you can even give thanks for right now in the middle of a storm? Maybe it's that God hasn't forgotten you while you ran away from him. Maybe it's that God is still trying to get your attention. Maybe it's that God's mercy still pursues you after everything you've done to nullify it. Maybe it's while you've run away from God, God hasn't run away from you. Because God has a heart for you. But God doesn't just have a heart for you. He also has a heart for people all around you. He also has a heart for people in this community and city, in this state, in the world. God actually has a heart for people that you may currently despise, like Jonah despised the Ninevites. How can you get in touch with God's heart right now? When I was in seminary, I took a class in evangelism, how to share your faith with people who don't yet know Jesus. And the professor was saying that one of the challenges that Christians sometimes get in is is we sort of lock ourselves into exclusively Christian social engagements and we can live our lives where it's like, well, it's a pretty Christian cul-de-sac and then church and then the people I work with are all Christian and I, don't, I can kind of go my whole week without even seeing another uh, non-Christian, right? And so this professor was saying, you know, it's really important that you organize your world where you're regularly hanging out with people who don't know Jesus so that you can share your faith. And, and, and a classmate raised his hand and, and he said, He said, but professor, he said, you don't understand. I don't like non-Christians. I don't like their music. I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the way they act. I would rather not hang out with them at all. It kind of felt like he was saying, yuck. You know, you want me to hang out with Ninevites? And you know, In the moment, I couldn't tell whether that student wanted us to be proud of him for how righteous he was or to feel sorry for him for how spiritually messed up he was. But I'll tell you, I got it. (laughs) I knew what he was saying. I, I identified with what he was saying way more than I wished. But you know what, friends? I'm so glad that Jesus never says that to God. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't say, but I don't like sinners. (laughs) I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the way they lie. I don't like the way they covet. I don't like the way they cheat. I don't like the way they break the Sabbath. I don't like the way they break their marriage vows. I don't like the way they profane your name. I don't like the way they break your heart. No, what does Jesus do? Jesus comes down in the middle of our storm. And Jesus, unlike Jonah, Jesus, the sinless one, says, throw me over. Let me die for your sins. Let me take all your sins to the bottom of the sea. Let me die that you might live. That, friends, is relentless mercy right here, right now. Every zip code, that's the mercy that meets us in our storms. That's the only mercy that can give us the true peace that we crave. And not just us, but our neighbors too. So let's pray for a deeper experience of that right now. 
Heavenly Father, your ways are not our ways, we confess. Your thoughts are not our thoughts, we confess that too. And Lord, how we see ourselves in Jonah, in our sin, how we confess, Lord, the times that we've just ignored your urgent message to us about our own hearts and about the needs of our neighbors. Lord, we confess this to you. And we pray, Lord, even in the midst of this moment, that we might come back in repentance, Lord, that we might listen to your words of truth and grace, that we might repent, Lord, that we might turn the ship around, that we might look for you and your mercy in the midst of the storm, that we might feel even a glimpse of what your heart feels for our neighbors. Lord, do a work in our heart. Do heart surgery in this moment, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.